Good evening all to the 68th session of the weekly huddle. I'm your host Anoop and joining me today is my friend and co-host Praneet. We are cardiologists working at Care Hospitals, Banjara Hills. The huddle is an unscripted audience level interaction where we address common clinical scenarios that we encounter in our daily clinical practice. Most of the attendees for today's session have been the regular attendees of the huddle and they know the format quite well. So I'm going to skip rest of the introduction part. In today's discussion, I have picked up a topic which early on I thought was not anything to be debated or discussed about. Uh, but now after spending about four years working in India and effectively four years of my professional career, uh, I, have, I have been a little bit more flexible in terms of my thoughts than what I was at the time of uh, completing my training. So let us, let us discuss this in a little bit more detail and then I will try to play devil's advocate trying to favor on both the sides or take both the sides. So case for today, this is a 56 year old male. He was referred to me about two weeks ago. And I'll tell you the um, scenario with a little bit of change. And then I will ask each one of yours uh, opinion. So this is a 56 year old male, he's diabetic and hypertensive for about three years. And he had been reasonably controlled for both of those risk factors. He has his own shop and uh, on the index day, he was minding his own business, uh, selling, uh, selling uh, uh, stuff at his shop without any problem. Sometime in the evening, he started having chest discomfort which he had occasionally in the past as well, but he didn't quite uh, pay attention to. But this time the chest pain continued and it continued for approximately two hours before he reported himself to the hospital. At the time of arrival, his symptoms, which was evaluated by the doctor uh, in the hospital was considered to be quite typical of angina. And his uh, ECG on arrival, was suggestive of lateral wall ST elevation myocardial infarction. He didn't have any evidence of heart failure at the time. And other than chest discomfort, he was otherwise okay. He didn't really have any other major symptoms whatsoever. His hemodynamics were well maintained. And just to tell you so that we can have the discussion that he does not have any absolute contraindication for systemic thrombolysis. Now this hospital where he presented is in the outskirts of Mahbubnagar. And uh, that place to care hospital is going to be around uh, one and a half hours if he takes an ambulance uh, at that point of time. So that would be his uh, uh, referral center. And uh, to the doctor who is on duty there, he had to choose one of the following options. And that is what I'm going to ask you all. And you can ask me any questions if you need uh, for this particular case. So the options are uh, for the peripheral center to give this patient thrombolytic for an acute STEMI, admit for 24 hours observation, and then transfer to higher center, which would be us for further management. Or the second option would be just give thrombolytics and then transfer immediately to the higher center where he will be observed at the higher center rather than a peripheral center. Or the third option would be don't give any thrombolytics, it's one and a half hours, just transfer immediately for a primary PCI. So essentially the discussion is going to be on 
primary PCI versus pharmacoinvasive. In this particular case, where the index hospital where the patient presented first is not a PCI-enabled hospital. But I also want to discuss a general point. What if these kind of patients arrive to a PCI-enabled center to begin with? Uh, should primary PCI still be the so-called gold standard in the Indian context, taking a lot of pragmatic things into account? Or should we be uh, promoting or should we be offering pharmacoinvasive as a blanket therapy for all non-complicated STEMIs, regardless of whether the patient present in a PCI-enabled hospital or not? So that will be the main discussion point other than this case option that I'm going to ask uh, each one of you to give your impression. So Praneet, you got the case two weeks ago, this patient, let's say this patient is in the hospital at Mahbubnagar and the doctor over there calls you and says that Dr. Praneet, you, you tell me what do you want me to do? And I will choose one of the three options or if you have a fourth option for that matter. And secondly, what is your overall impression of primary PCI versus pharmacoinvasive in the Indian context? Pranit. Yeah. Good evening, everyone. Uh, so just before I uh, start the discussion, for the sake of uh, clarity, um, primary PCI is uh, something where you give only antiplatelets to the patient and without giving any anticoagulant or any drug, you take the patient into cath lab, open the blood vessel, put in a stent uh, plus or minus is called primary PCI, which is the go-to uh, therapy for uh, steel vision MI. Pharmacoinvasive analytic therapy. And after three to 24 hours post-thrombolytic therapy, you take the patient to cath lab and you do an angiogram and uh, followed by PCI based on the anatomy of the patient. Now this patient, um, I would... Uh, prefer pharmacoinvasive approach as a go-to therapy because uh, of various practical concerns that I have, I think one about the travel and the availability of ambulance, etc. Second thing, once patient comes to a PCI-enabled hospital, again, there are uh, various issues uh, which uh, delay the treatment, both from the patient and the family, understanding the importance of the disease, Second thing about the concerns being given for the primary PCI and finally the most important thing about the financial issues and the financial clearance given by the hospital authorities. Considering all those things because a lot of time gets wasted here, uh, I wish if these things are uh, taken care of and if we can ideally rush the patient immediately to cath lab which most of the times doesn't happen. Uh, I would uh, prefer pharmacoinvasive approach where I give the thrombolytic therapy, where the drug acts upon and by the time patient makes a decision or takes a travel and gets all these things sorted out, the, we are able to establish the flow into the infarct-related vessel and maintain the perfusion. So this would be my take on this case. Also. So pharmacoinvasive, Praneet, I got it, but... Uh... The question in this case is thrombolytic and then transfer or thrombolytic admit, observe, and then transfer. What would be your take? A thrombolytic maybe observe for an hour or so just to make sure that uh, the drug has gone and he's doing okay. And once he's stable within an hour or so, I would uh, 
ship the patient in an ambulance to the PCI capable hospital. So I'm guessing from emergency directly transfer rather than emergency to ICU and then transfer. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Emergency and direct, uh, directly to PCI capable hospital. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask this hypothetical question to all of, all of my attendees uh, who give their opinion. If you had to open your hypothetical hospital in your emergency department, which, which strategy you would prefer? Primary PCI or pharmacoinvasive? 24 seven I'm talking about, not just the daytime. Pranit, for your hospital, you have to design a program, pharmacoinvasive versus primary PCI. I would design a pharmacoinvasive uh, approach for my patient, for my hospital. Is it so that you don't, you don't need to be woken up at night? Not because of that, but uh, uh, because of the various practical issues, the level of uh, awareness of the STEMI and uh, making it easy, uh, I would uh, say pharmacoinvasive seems more practical. And even if you look at the data, pharmacoinvasive is as comparable to primary PCI. So time can be utilized effectively in a pharmacoinvasive approach than in primary PCI where there are a lot of uh, uh, concerns, be it availability of uh, the lab, availability of the technician, doctor, or whatnot. So I would, my personal preference would be a pharmacoinvasive approach. Okay, thank you, Praneet. Uh, Dr. Vijay Reddy, I hope you are able to, uh, you were able to get the case for today's discussion. If you could unmute yourself, share your thoughts about what you would do for this case and what is your opinion about pharmacoinvasive versus primary PCI in a PCI-enabled hospital? Dr. Vijay. Good evening, Anup. And uh, my, here, this patient has got lateral volume uh, myocardial infarction with, in, uh, with the capability of reaching the PCI-capable hospital in one and a half hour. After reaching the hospital, it, it will take another two to three hours for the patient to get convinced for a PC, so valuable time is lost in Indian scenario. So in this case, my choice, though primary PCI is the preferred strategy in any STEMI here in this in this scenario of Indian context, I would choose a pharmacoinvasive strategy, which is the right strategy for this patient. And sir, what is your thought as a general primary PCI? Let's say if patients come to your hospital on a random evening, uh, what do, what, if you have to design a program, primary PCI versus pharmacoinvasive yes. in your hospital? Primary PCI. My and choice is primary PCI. Okay. And the same thing that I'm going to ask you as well, if you have to design, I'm guessing I have the answer. If you have to design a scenario where you have your own hospital and you have to create a protocol. I'm guessing you're gonna go with primary PCI? Yes, primary PCI only. So the reason why I think this topic even deserves a discussion is because, and as I said that before, uh, before four years, I didn't think this was a topic that needed any kind of discussion. And acute, acute MI should get a primary PCI. I don't think there is any questions or debates or discussions or anything about it. But now in the last four years, as I have uh, uh, gained a little bit of uh, 
clinical experience on the ground, one thing that I ask myself every single time when a patient hits the door, and I'm talking about a random, random Joe who comes to the emergency with uh, chest pain and acute MI, and uh, I'm going through the algorithm. And these are the patients whom I'm talking about who are eligible for both thrombolytic as well as PCI, who do not have any active contraindication for one of the two, who are not in cardiogenic shock or anything where only one is preferred over the other. These are the patients I'm talking about who are otherwise okay to get either one of the two therapy. So what I'm, what I'm talking about, what I'm thinking is whenever these kind of cases come to emergency is the, the whole door to needle of 30 minutes versus door to balloon of 90 minutes or first medical contact to balloon of 120 minutes. This is what the data supports. The data overwhelmingly supports that if we do door to balloon within 90 minutes, particularly after three hours and within 12 hours of symptom onset, then primary PCI offers an edge over uh, pharmacoinvasive or thrombolytic therapy or whatnot. So whenever a patient comes to the emergency, I'm thinking, can I do a door to balloon of 30 minutes, door to needle of 30 minutes in this patient versus door to needle of 90 minutes in this patient? And lot more of the patients that I'm seeing, or at least maybe I am seeing a biased population, that more often than not, there are so many hurdles that I have to face whenever I have to achieve a door to balloon of 90 minutes. And Praneet mentioned about finances and cost and all these. These are a separate issue. There are major clinical challenges which impede with my with me achieving a door to balloon of 90 minutes. In the COVID scenario, this whole COVID exclusion came into the way. The hospital at one point made a protocol that every patient needs to get a screening HRCT before they can be wheeled into the cath lab. Thankfully, that program got shut down. But certainly, it added a little, an extra layer of complexity. Then cath lab availability, because majority of the centers, who, even those who are PCI enabled, uh, they may be working with only one cath lab. And that cath lab may be occupied for something else. And even if they are not occupied, to take a patient with COVID indeterminate status, now that cath lab will, will be occupied for another one hour after you have done the angioplasty because the lab needs to be fumigated and whatnot. That adds a logistic nightmare to that center if the case is taken during the, during the daytime. Then the patient confidence, the patient confidence, particularly those patients who are not in cardiogenic shock, who are having some degree of angina, but otherwise are stable. Uh, because truth being told, we have shot in our own foot in the last few years with, with uh, I wouldn't, for the lack of better word, uh, scare tactics or whatever you call it, where even stable presentations have been presented to the patient as an unstable syndrome that needs to be actively managed. So when you get an actual unstable syndrome, how difficult it is to actually tell the patient that this is a true unstable syndrome that, that you need to manage. And then of course the finances part come, which hopefully in an ideal world, we won't have to think about finances, at least in acute MI situation, where the gain is far higher than any other clinical scenario that we're talking about. So when I have to deal with a lot of these issues 
And if I think that I will be able to achieve door to balloon of 90 minutes in about 50% of all the patients who hit my emergency room versus I will be able to achieve door to needle of 100% patients who hit my emergency room, then I start questioning whether door to balloon in the most, most pragmatic sense is the correct answer or not. And that question I think is very valid and very reasonable for anybody who is practicing in India to, to think about. And Pranit did mention about uh, studies. There are actually studies which are done in India as well as in Canada, which uh, has put up the validity of pharmacoinvasive to certain degree. And of course, we pick and choose those studies which, uh, which uh, uh, promote our existing thought processes. But regardless, uh, <clears throat> we have to ask ourselves whether we will be able to achieve or provide this kind of therapy to vast majority of the patients if we choose prim primary PCI as our mode of treatment. My, my guess is these kind of problems will exist less if we, had a, if we have a much better uh, system where these hurdles can be very easily crossed. I'm guessing more like a public private hospitals or uh, setups where finances are not that big of an issue, where inherent trust is already there, where you don't have to spend that much time in crossing these hurdles and where you know that in majority of the patient, you will be able to get a door to balloon of 90 minutes because at the end of the day, when you are comparing primary PCI and thrombolytic, and when you are saying that primary PCI is better than thrombolytic, then the data set that you are driving the data, the, uh, deriving the uh, data from, you have, to, you have to follow everything that the data set followed. And one of them is an early PCI. One of them is a door to balloon of 90 minutes. So if we cannot achieve 90 minutes, the equivalency that we are trying to achieve with what we are doing versus what the data says may not be valid. And this is a long rant for uh, why I chose this topic. Because as I said, three, four years before me, myself would be laughing at this topic to say that, why are we even discussing this? This is no more a discussion point. Primary PCI is superior to balloon angioplasty uh, to uh, thrombolytic chapter close. So I'm going to continue my discussion uh, with uh, more of my colleagues. And let, let me see if there is somebody who wants to uh, shut me down uh, with this, with this uh, thought process. And during the entire session, I'll be playing devil's advocate. I'll be taking both the sides just to get the discussion going. So Dr. Praveen, Dr. Praveen works in a government center. Praveen, if you could unmute yourself and share with me if this patient had to come to you, would you do a thrombolysis in this patient and transfer versus directly transfer for primary PCI? And what is your thought process regarding pharmacoinvasive versus primary PCI in India?
Hello. I think Anup got disconnected. Uh, I'll try to continue the discussion. Uh, Praveen, are you there with us? Okay. I think we'll take comments from uh, Shankar, sir. Shankar, sir, I think you practice in a place which is uh, uh, probably away from the city center. I, I'm sure probably this can be a topic which is more relevant to you. Can we uh, take uh, your uh, comments on how would you manage this case? Good evening to all. Uh, as everybody knows, uh, so the time is muscle. So the time from uh, symptom onset to the reperfusion uh, plays an important role in STEMI patients for better outcomes. So the reperfusion uh, should be the earliest possible. We, ours is a, a non-PCA capable center. So there is no other go. We have to thrombolize the patient uh, if they come in uh, the stipulated time frame. So, uh, what I know is, is early thrombolysis uh, within one to three hours. It is a golden uh, golden hour uh, from the symptom onset. They have got a mortality benefit equivalent to that of primary PCA. This is uh, uh, well documented uh, in uh, many trials, uh, uh, stream trial of UK and uh, Kerala ACS registry by Tiny Nair and Ajit Mulasari uh, from uh, TN, Tamil Nadu. Uh, then a step uh, AMI study. So there the pharmacoinvasive therapy is also equally uh, good if it is a, uh, if the triage protocol is done within a, a stipulated uh, time frame. So I prefer uh, thrombolysis only. And then, uh, the, depending on the, there are uh, with us uh, too many uh, uh, thrombolytic agents are available. Uh, streptokinase, uh, tenectoplase, uh, altiplase, retiplase. But uh, I prefer to use uh, STK or PNK, uh, depending on the patient's uh, affordability. The, because STK is uh, cost-effective, it is low, it is economical, uh, but uh, little advantage, disadvantages also there compared to TNK. TNK is a, a fibrin specific. I give uh, a tenecta place because it is IV bolus administration, the faster lytic action. And uh, the patency rates are uh, very good at uh, 90 minutes. So after giving uh, either tenecteplase or uh, STK uh, uh, bolus or uh, infusion respectively, then uh, so adjuvant therapy as uh, Dr. Pranit uh, told, we give uh, loading dose of uh, aspirin uh, and 300 milligrams of uh, clopidogrel, then uh, 0.4 milligrams of nitroglycerin or sarbitrate, uh, 5 milligrams. So then uh, statin, uh, high statin, high intensity statin, 80 milligrams of uh, uh, heterostatin uh, we give. So at the same time also, 
uh, I give uh, enoxaparin. Uh, so 30 milligrams per uh, 30 milligrams IV uh, bolus. After 15 minutes, I give one milligram per kg body weight uh, the enoxaparin. So anticoagulant, anticoagulant also I, I with the low molecular weight heparin. Then uh, I repeat uh, uh, ECG after 60 minutes and the 90 minutes. If the, if the pain subsides and patient uh, uh, feels free of pain and uh, ECG wise, if there is a resolution of ST segment elevation by more than 50% uh, in the lead, which showed maximum ST elevation at the time of presentation, then I say it is a successful thrombolysis um, because uh, I have seen uh, many cases in my practice that uh, after giving tenecteplase within three hours of uh, uh, symptom onset, uh, almost uh, the, the patency rate of uh, infarct-related artery is more than 90%. Uh, so, surprised uh, by many uh, nearby cardiologists also, uh, when I referred uh, cases after tenecteplase uh, uh, thrombolysis uh, or the STK thrombolysis within uh, stipulated, that is uh, within the golden period. So that is a successful thrombolysis. Then I uh, refer the patient to the PCA capable center and uh, where they can uh, do non-elective uh, 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 angiography, uh, uh, coronary angiography, it's not that urgent enough. So they can do over a period of three to 24 hours and, uh, and they can do the PCA. Uh, but uh, if the patient has got persistent in the ongoing chest pain and if it is worsened also or the there is no resolution of ST segment A, elevation, uh, if it is less than 50%, then I say it is a failed uh, thrombolysis. Uh, then uh, for the rescue uh, angioplasty, I immediately, uh, in the successful thrombolysis, I may take little, uh, little time, but uh, in the failed thrombolysis, then uh, I don't uh, wait anymore. Uh, immediately, I send the patient to the PCA capable center uh, for uh, immediate angioplasty. Uh, the pharmacoinvasive therapy. Uh, this is the this the triage protocol is a pharmacoinvasive therapy because uh, uh, it is the PCA capable centers are there uh, to our uh, place. Uh, 60 kilometers away, there are more than uh, five centers are there. But in the real world practice, in real world practice, or in the real world scenario, we many patients are transferred with a STEMI. They do not receive a, a timely primary PCA. What I have seen, even in the uh, uh, golden period, golden hours of, uh, from the symptom onset. They do not receive a timely primary PCA. 
uh, even uh, so that's why i thought uh, better to give thrombolysis and uh, send the patients to the capable uh, pca capable centers of late uh, i realized uh, this is a pharmacoinvasive therapy uh, it is uh, uh, equivalent to that of a primary pca if it is done in the golden golden period the stemi patients are uh, receiving pharmacoinvasive therapy compared to the primary pca they have got a shorter symptom to reperfusion uh, uh, time and a higher uh, infarct related artery the culprit vessel patency rates are more uh, with this pharmacoinvasive therapy uh, and a similar 12 month uh, clinical outcome either uh, mortality or maze uh, is uh, the same uh, in both the pharmacoinvasive therapy and the primary pca uh, so i prefer the pharmacoinvasive therapy there is no other go also uh, if they if a patient comes in a, a stipulated uh, uh, time frame thank you sir like um, what will be your uh, time frame when you would be deciding about uh, transferring these patients to a uh, higher center like uh, normally say for this patient has mm, you given a thrombolytic therapy is it a norm that you normally observe for 3 uh, hours at your place and uh, then decide or uh, like what is your criteria sir just pca you said uh, that if they do not but uh, how Rescue do you pca immediately i send it sending but uh, so like uh, immediately my question to you is what will be your time frame sir when you make this decision about ஆல்சோ uh so when the patient uh, needs a rescue pca uh, patient has got uh, ongoing chest pain and uh, raised uh, high sensitive uh, troponins and uh, uh, st not resolved then uh, i send with a uh, gp2b 3a inhibitor uh, infusion uh, preferably tirofiban uh, i give uh, and i send uh, send with the same infusion to the capable pca capable center uh, this has been uh, this i have been practicing for, uh, since a long time but uh, uh, what is the opinion uh, latest opinion of the consensus of the uh, opinion uh, from the how uh, august house i want to know because this has been uh, being followed uh, since a long time uh, for, uh more than 20 years uh, i have been following this uh any changes in the uh, uh when the patient is being transferred to the capable pca capable center so during that transit uh, what to be given because the patient has been suffering from 
pain uh, uh, so better i give tirofiban uh, uh, and a transfer i want to know the opinion of the house yes sir so uh, i'll try to uh, give uh, my perspective and then probably we can take uh, comments of others as well so as an as an interventional cardiologist uh, when we deal with a patient who has an st elevation mi uh, we would like to look at the window period of the symptoms and what are the drugs that the patient received when he got referred so one thing is about uh, antiplatelets and uh, high intensity starting as a loading which there is no problem which we are happy about it second thing about the thrombolytic therapy and any other um, adjectives in the form of heparin whether that is an unfractionated heparin versus a low molecular weight heparin because the duration of action of both the drugs vary and second thing uh, any other injectable antiplatelet uh, therapy like uh, the suggestion of uh, tirofibrin etc as a cardiologist uh, when we take up this patient for uh, intervention the most important thing is getting an access uh right now with improvement in techniques and uh, experience we are going with uh, a radial artery approach where the risk of uh, bleeding is less likely uh, versus some patients who are kind of uh, in a cardiogenic shock or where there is some difficulty getting the access then the go to route will be femoral the problem with uh, going femoral route is its associated risk of bleeding uh putting up um, compressions and what not so as an interventional cardiologist i would be fearing to touch the patient if he has received thrombolytic therapy at least wait for 3 hours and preferably i would be happy uh, if he can uh, if he was as long as possible equally touching this uh, artery if the patient has received a longer acting heparin in the form of an uh, uh, enoxaparin etc equally i am worried and if there is an addition of uh, gp2b more is the risk of bleeding so radial i am okay uh, trying to puncture the radial artery but if i am doing it femoral then i really am um, worried because uh, because of the risk of bleeding that it is associated and as we all know bleeding is the single most independent uh, parameter which contributes to worse outcomes including mortality of these patients so if um, i were to be receiving this patient probably thrombolytic therapy alone and uh, an unfractionated heparin because uh, of the short duration of action within the six hours and uh, um, i would prefer not to be receiving uh, gp2b inhibitor because that increases the risk of bleeding this is uh, my thought of uh, uh, seeing at this patient probably we can take more uh, comments from the other cardiologists anup what do you feel you know uh, pranit whenever we talk about uh, primary pci one has to remember that mortality is so closely tied to bleeding events so while at one point we are reducing the thrombotic burden but at the same time we have to ensure that we don't add bleeding and there there is data to help us make that decision and uh, data does point out to few things which definitely increases the risk of bleeding so use of gp2b and thrombolytic is is not favored because of bleeding risk that part is relatively clear we typically not uh, we typically tend not to give the so called upstream gp2b3 inhibitors upstream is where you give gp2b3 inhibitors 
before the patient has been wheeled into the cath lab. In contrast to GP2B3 inhibitors given once the patient is in the cath lab where you have seen a no flow or, or thrombus or whatnot, and then you start GP2Bs. So a downstream GP2B3 inhibitors are not as dangerous as giving upstream in terms of bleeding. The other thing is low molecular weight heparin. What we have also found is low molecular weight heparin, while it is safer than unfractionated heparin in medical management, when it comes to PCI, then the same low molecular weight heparin increases the risk of bleeding. And that is because of the dose adjustment algorithms, which are not precisely defined for uh, low molecular weight in the PCI setting as compared to unfractionated heparin. And then uh, use of newer antiplatelet drugs and thrombolytic like ticagrelor and prasugrel along with thrombolytic. So very so often we receive patients who have been given thrombolytic along with a ticagrelor and a prasugrel. While this, while this strategy may reduce the thrombotic burden, it is poised to increase the bleeding risk as well. So these are the things that we avoid. Now, whatever strategy we choose, one has to remember that the highest bleeding risk is in those patients where anti-thrombotic regimen switch happens from one hospital to another. And what I mean by switch is this, that a patient receives anticoagulation type one in one hospital, and when they reach to the hospital two, then they receive anticoagulant type two. A very common example in the US or in the Western world was bivaluridine versus heparin, because both the drugs were easily available. Here in India, we don't use bivaluridine that much. So here often the switch that happens is low molecular weight heparin to unfractionated heparin in the cath lab. And anytime when you make this switch, it increases the risk of bleeding. So overall, what I would suggest uh, to my colleagues is that whenever you are dealing with thrombolytic and primary uh, and acute MI, try to make things as simple as possible. We shouldn't put too much of polypharmacy in there. The target should be to get this patient to the center who can perform a PCI with thrombolytic and very basic minimal uh, ancillary therapy as compared to making it more complicated. It certainly reduces the thrombotic risk, but increases bleeding significantly. So that is, Praneet, my impression on using these, these other drugs in the acute MI setting. But I want to ask uh, Shankar, sir, one question. Shankar, sir, I was listening uh, to what you were saying. You said so frequently you see these patients when they are being transferred to the primary PCI setup that they don't get primary PCI. Can you give us at least few reasons why you have in the last few decades, I would say, uh, what are the reasons that you have encountered due to which primary PCI is not done when you send the patient uh, to, to the other hospital? What happens? The, many, the paucity of PCI centers in India is, pan India is, uh, everybody knows about it. Uh, then second is, though many other PCI centers, they claim that around the clock, 24 into 7 service is available, cath lab is open, but uh, most of the doctors on, uh, on call duty. Uh, the third one is, especially now in the COVID era, now the, the problems have become very serious now because... Uh, if a patient of uh, uh, MI, 
going to even the PCA capable center also, uh, there is uh, the dedicated uh, cath lab should be there and the dedicated staff should be there. There is a fear and anxiety amongst everybody. So then the protocol is there. Uh, we should rule out uh, the, the uh, COVID infection, either with the rapid uh, or RT-PCR. RT-PCR is a must, but uh, RT-PCR to get the report also, it takes uh, six hours. Then uh, HRCT. So all these things, uh, they are all, they consume a lot of time and uh, the purpose of a primary PCA uh, is lost, uh, especially in this uh, during COVID era. I am very uh, see. I am seeing a very pathetic situation on the part of uh, patients also. Uh, so we even uh, uh, they are avoiding even primary PCA, and they are giving simply. Uh, they are also doing uh, thrombolytic therapy, and uh, electively. Uh, let us think uh, regarding if it is not patent enough or if it is not successful enough, then they, we think uh, elective uh, angiography and the PCA. This is the situation in the pandemic. Uh, uh, I'm not talking about uh, uh, tertiary care centers where well-equipped around-the-clock services are there, but uh, nearby uh, our center, uh, the PCA capable centers uh, which are there, um, more than five are there, but uh, I hardly see because there is a the delay will be there. The delays are uh, the delays may be due to many things because uh, the finances, uh, expensive procedure, and the consent given by the patient or relatives is uh, delayed. And uh, they say that uh, they have got uh, some. Uh, Arugeshri or uh, Aishman Bharat, uh, then uh, they will delay the procedure. And even uh, uh, hospital authorities also, they take the permission of the uh, from the Arugeshri that takes more than two to three days uh, for the clearance. So all these things, uh, there is a lot of delay in uh, this uh, primary PCA. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, we have about 15 minutes more to go. Anybody else has got any other thoughts about this case or about uh, primary PCI versus pharmacoinvasive? Yeah, Dr. Anand, you have something to add? Uh, sir, thank you, sir. Uh, sir, what I want... Nope. Uh, Dr. Anand, sorry, I muted you by mistake. Can you please unmute yourself and say again? I'm sorry about that. Uh, uh, yes, it's okay, sir. So I think I just want to have a clarification on this concept of, uh, uh, I think most of us are mistaking this pre-hospital fibrinolysis concept with hospitalization, fibrinolysis, observe and wait for one or two days and then send for a PCI. So uh, am I right, sir? I mean, like, uh, this is what uh, I have an issue with uh, uh, people who are sending patients for uh, uh, I think like uh, primary. So we have to send the patient to a PCI-capable center as early as possible. Uh, so you have to give a thrombolytic and then uh, if a patient is unstable, obviously we have to stabilize him and immediately after stabilization, we have to refer so that the PCI can be done within 24 hours. Uh, what I am observing is uh, some of them, 
send uh, very late if in case of successful thrombolysis if it is failed they obviously send early but if it is successful they delay it unnecessarily so this is one thing which uh, i want to ask i mean like this is the situation what uh, most of us are facing sir thank you so much anand so just for the sake of clarity what anand brought up i am going to uh, describe the various strategies of treating acute mi so one is primary pci everybody is aware there the target is you re reach a door to balloon of 90 minutes or a first medical contact to balloon of 120 minutes then the second one is a facilitated primary pci this is out of uh, general practice now we don't do it anymore because of increased bleeding risk the facilitated pci is where you give thrombolytic and immediately take the patient to the cath lab irrespective of what the thrombolytic therapy has done and in that situation the average time gap between thrombolytic and uh, angioplasty is less than 3 hours and in those scenarios in facilitated pci there was increased events mostly related to increased bleeding because you were doing an invasive procedure in the setting of thrombolysis so facilitated pci is where you give thrombolytic and do pci immediately after that it's almost like patient is in the ambulance gets a thrombolysis reaches a pci enabled hospital and there you do a so called primary pci in the setting of thrombolysis that that strategy has been taken away we don't do that anymore then the third strategy is pharmaco invasive where we give thrombolytic and delay the angioplasty for a minimum of 3 hours but not longer than 24 hours so the idea here is you let the thrombolytic effect wear off and then you take for invasive procedure but don't delay too much where you run the risk of artery occluding again so in pharmaco invasive strategy the target pci should be done within 3 to 24 hours of thrombolytic therapy and then there is thrombolysis followed by pci is what anand you are mentioning where you give thrombolysis and you take your sweet time one day two day three day and then you do a semi elective angioplasty so that is not a pharmaco invasive that is a thrombolytic therapy followed by an angioplasty now whenever we compared primary pci early on back in the day i'm talking about data of 1990s whenever we compared primary pci the control arm was a thrombolytic regimen where you give thrombolysis wait for one two days or three days and then you decide to do more of a semi elective angioplasty and their primary pci is a clear winner but when you talk about pharmaco uh, when you talk about primary pci and pharmaco invasive which means your angioplasty should not be delayed by more than 24 hours from the time of thrombolytic therapy there the data is not very very much in favor of primary pci so anand what you were mentioning is the strategy chosen in the peripheral center where uh, thrombolytic therapy is given but that is not followed by a routine angiogram and an angioplasty within 24 hours there the patient is housed for a day or two maybe three because the patient is stable everything is fine treatment is provided in form of anticoagulant and later on are taken for an angioplasty which cannot be considered a primary angioplasty because there has always been a, there had already been a delay of more than one day i do not think that in the current context that strategy will work if you have a pci enabled center nearby if in that scenario you should aim to get a 
to get an angioplasty or an angiogram within 24 hours of thrombolytic th uh, therapy. Unless your intention is to do medical management where you can wait and do a ischemia driven angioplasty, that's a different, that's a different subset altogether. So I agree with you in terms of thrombolysis followed by regular or a semi-elective angioplasty, that in my opinion should not be the approach. Uh, in my opinion, the approach should be pharmacoinvasive where routinely patients are taken for angiogram within three to 24 hours. I hope I'm able to get this message very nicely set up that the timing that we're talking about is three to 24 hours. Anand, I hope that answered your confusion. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This I'm clear. Sir. I just wanted to clarify. And the other thing, sir, um, the uh, uh, failure rates mentioned in trials is around 30%. Whereas in registry data, they in Indian registry data, they say it is 90% uh, successful thrombolysis. So there is a huge discrepancy between this uh, stream trial versus uh, our Indian registry data. Uh, I don't know what criteria was used in this registry for determining successful thrombolysis. And I think uh, it would be better if you clarify already. I know the basics like 50% resolution or uh, pain uh, resolution, whatever, step, hemodynamic stabilization. But uh, why are people getting confused as, uh, what to say, I mean, like we, uh, there is a huge discrepancy. 30% failure in trials, controlled trials, versus 90% success, 10% failure in uh, registry. Why is this happening, sir? Yeah, so Anand, I would love to discuss this kind of data set, uh, but I think we will keep this discussion in the WhatsApp group so that we don't engage too much into data buildup uh, on the huddle discussion, uh, where I intend to ask my colleagues about their opinion. So because we are running short of time, I'm going to ask few of my colleagues about their opinion, and then we will ask uh, Somaraju sir about his opinion as well. So uh, let me see, I'm just going down, down the list. Uh, Chandramukhi Madam is here. Ma'am, uh, if you could unmute yourself and share your thoughts about uh, pharmacoinvasive versus primary PCI in context to the patient that we are discussing. Chandramukhi Ma'am, could you please unmute yourself and share your thought? Okay, uh, maybe there is some technical issue. Dr. Gopi Krishna, if you could unmute yourself and quickly share your thoughts about today's discussion. Okay, maybe my message mm -hmm. is not going through. Yes, do yes, Dr. Mm -hmm. Gopi Krishna, please go ahead with your thoughts about today's yeah, discussion. Yeah, sorry, Dr. Anup. Actually, even uh, for me also, I'm getting continuous uh, problem with the signal. I don't know, probably there's a problem, technical problem with uh, Zoom itself. Yeah, 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 possible. Uh, continuously, I'm getting a bad uh -huh. Yeah, the thing is, uh, here, uh, uh, I started uh, almost like a decade ago uh, uh, in Nizamabad, the doing uh, plastics. Actually, I was the first person, I think, individual doing uh, primaries, uh, primary angioplasties in the state. Actually, the thing is, initially, when I started, I started the concept that primary angioplasty is uh, better utilized for the patient's benefit and to save so many lives. The, the practical problem I faced uh, very different. Most of the people, they doubt the procedure. Whenever mortality occurs or uh, they may go into shock or they may develop a renal failure or uh, they develop rupture or arrhythmias, all these things. No, they cannot explain after the procedure. The thing is, 
if you do the medical therapy and after the medical therapy after stabilization if i do the procedure if something happens most of the times patient attenders are patient most of the time they don't question but the thing is if directly patient comes into the emergency room they explain about the procedure doing the primary it is very useful and after explaining the benefits of the primary if i take the patient into the cath lab if something happens during the procedure after the procedure also definitely they compare these procedures with the stable patients only elective pcs most of them i faced if something happens no very difficult to explain the patient attenders they say that sir most of the my relatives they have gone to hyderabad they have gone uh, hyderabad uh, by driving the car and uh, they are returned uh, by self driving and you are seeing this patient is died how it is possible they have they have stented and uh, uh, got stented and here also you are done stenting no why the death occurred then that, these are the usual this is a common questions i face usually so the thing is uh, very uh, difficult to explain the patients and uh, they the even uh, it is difficult to explain your colleagues also colleague doctors also everybody used to call me what happened uh, you have done understanding now why it uh, death occurred or something like this so i felt like it's a nuisance now i reduce the primary pcs like uh, 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 drastically most uh, now i am approaching the pharmaco invasive approach rather than doing a primary pcs because uh, i feel nuisance in uh, scenario but the things i observed is most of the primary pca really beneficial in uh, when in our setups indian setups so indian scenarios also even in the rural area and choosing the patients for uh, primary pca based on uh, the other uh, criteria than the book description like uh, the patient is really trusting me are they known to me they are my relatives are they are known to dog trusted doctors uh this is a primary criteria for me rather than anything and the thing as you said the bleeding uh, risk is uh, really very high with the uh, primary pca if i choose the patient for primary pca because the most of the patient as you said no pharmacological switch, special anticoagulant switch is common here most of the times uh, by fear or something the, they use uh, like a higher doses of anticoagulants after thrombolysis there in the primary centers or uh, they give like a lot of uh, non specific drug i have seen sometimes giving like a clopidogrel eight tablets also in most of the centers and uh, after uh, thrombolysis with the stick giving uh, Uh, at the higher doses all these things they are really creating lot of practical problems here so my approach now is like uh, selecting the patient based on the trust and uh, based on uh, and uh, see even i try to benefit the patient in the form of reducing the cost also in the primary pca and if patient died once i faced a little bit like a surprising type of scenario i i thought i better um, this patient is poor i thought i would avoid the bill also then uh, my friends suggested me if you avoid the bill or if you do like that they suspect the procedure itself so don't do all these type of things just take a little bit less charges of course definitely the trust is there here um, um, from the patients but the thing still we are lagging in selecting the patient for a primary pca because of these uh, financial issues and uh, lack of trust or uh, as you said the one of the best thing you said today is like a, uh, unstable patients like presenting like a stable uh, case scenario 
so patient himself doesn't accept uh, don't accept that uh, he is having mi because i'm having a little bit pain only probability acidity or even uh, such type of patient something happens it's like a nightmare for us in the uh, two tiers cities dr gopikrishna thank you so much for your thought process we really appreciate uh, you telling what you face on the ground very quickly one minute each if i can have few more thoughts and then we will close the session dr praveen if you could please unmute yourself and share your thoughts about today's discussion dr praveen sir uh, good evening sir uh, uh, regarding this case scenario i would uh, go with the pharmaco invasive strategy and uh, <clears throat> again uh, saying the uh, what you call the ground facing realities uh, as uh, mentioned by dr gopikrishna sir uh, the patients when they come to the hospital and the scenarios after the treatment of the uh, by the primary pca they totally they will be uh, different we don't get uh, adequate time to counsel uh, just for the stable uh, elective pca for the primary pca and at the same time if we think from the patient perspective also it is difficult to digest that the patient is having a massive heart attack and the patient uh, the chances of death is more at the same time accepting the fact for them uh, will also be a problem and uh, the financial uh, constraints and uh, so uh, both will be uh, <clears throat> problematic and if you take the pharmaco invasive strategy we can buy some time uh, at the same time if the patient is presenting within the uh, 2 or 3 hours uh, it would be beneficial if the if patient is an young patient and a smoker uh, there would be a more thrombotic lesion and uh, doing a thrombolysis would be beneficial rather than taking him for primary pca where uh, there will be an uh, Uh, what you call will be uh, the risk of stent thrombosis will be there and uh, if the patient on angiogram is having an angry thrombus or anything again going for a medical management would be beneficial if this patient is an uh, having multiple comorbidities and uh, uh, seeing the extent of mi then we can take a call regarding primary or the uh, pharmacoinvasive strategy but sir uh, in acute coronary syndrome each patient is a lesson or what you call different if we sometimes we get uh, back strokes and all that but uh, we have to take the risk as we are interventional cardiologists thank you thank you so much praveen uh, you mentioned a very interesting thing about the thrombotic burden and what not actually there is one data set and there is one thought process i'll just brief you i won't brief you with the details of it there is one data set where patients were taken as a primary uh, angioplasty they just underwent a balloon passing they did not even undergo a balloon dilatation or what not it was just done simple like a wire angioplasty and what not to establish flow and that these patients were taken off the table given anticoagulant and were and were taken for an angioplasty with a stent the next day the idea was very simple can we reduce the thrombotic burden with anticoagulation for some time while still having a flowing artery so that the infarct size reduces and then you do an angioplasty later on hopefully that will reduce the incidence of no flow and slow flow and no reflow and that kind of stuff there that was one data set then the other thought process that was there was that as we all know if you do thrombolysis and take all these patients to an angiogram approximately 20% of them will have a recanalized artery and will not require an angioplasty so the thought process that came from there was if you give thrombolysis 
It is possible that you will reduce the thrombotic milieu to a certain degree so that when you take for primary angioplasty later on, your microthrombi embolus that goes on to the capillary and whatnot, maybe that will reduce and you will have a reduction in uh, microinfarct micro as we speak, which will result into better myocardium viability later on. So these are the thought process which are going on in favor of pharmacoinvasive to a certain degree where people may consider pharmacoinvasive superior than primary PCI. Of course, there has not been any data set which establishes this, but, I, but I'm just giving you different thought process that comes across whenever uh, what Praveen said that uh, this thrombotic burden and whatnot comes into play. So these thought process are, are also there. We are eight or five. I'll just quickly uh, ask Dr. Somaraju for his opinion. And then uh, unless there is something very important, we'll like to close the session. Somaraju, sir, I know you have been a very ardent follower of primary angioplasty. Same was I was a few years ago. And uh, uh, I know when we were working in uh, Kher Banjara, then we had the permission or we had the power, we were empowered to do primary angioplasty in patients who are having acute MI, irrespective of whether we get the so-called clearance or family consent or whatnot. And we had practiced that model very, very successfully. What is your impression in the current context of pharmacoinvasive versus uh, primary PCI? And where do you think we are headed? Somaraju, sir. Thank you, Anup. And, uh... A uh, lot of uh, opinions were expressed, and some of them we agree. I agree. Some of them I don't agree. While I say this, uh, the only coronary intervention, angioplasty, that prolongs life, is primary angioplasty, not elective angioplasty. It's never proven beyond doubt that elective angioplasty prolongs life. Primary angioplasty does prolong life. But having said that, uh, you mentioned that we never. Uh, wherever we uh, had an occasion to work as a group of cardiologists, a 24-hour service was provided. Catrab was open around the clock. The Banjara, many of you are aware. The door-to-needle time was less than 30 minutes most of the time, and it generally never exceeded 40 minutes. And uh, the counseling uh, is best done by a senior enough person, namely a cardiologist, rather than leaving it to an emergency room physician or a resident. Then things work, work out well, and it worked out well for us. Even during COVID times, in the present hospital we are in, we did more than 120 primary angioplasties as a group of people, because cardiologists are available online, uh, uh, on-site. And uh, having said that, be aware that acute myocardial infarction is not a single disease. There are 20 to 30 percent of patients uh, who didn't have more than 50% lesion prior to their developing an MI. And then uh, some of the things that are mentioned, like uh, a young person, uh, active smoker, uh, lighting therapy will still work out very well. He presented early. That is a, one subset. And uh, most of the patients today we see, particularly in uh, tertiary care centers, etc., are above 60, 70, or even more years. In which case, these patients have significant obstructive coronary disease already on which an acute MIAC has occurred. Their anatomy is different. Their behaviors are different. Their bleeding risks are different. Uh, having said that, the uh, uh, say cardiologists today, uh, they prefer to do 
uh, elective angioplasties, not primary angioplasties, because some of the issues were uh, mentioned. Uh, they are uh, they don't want to be disturbed. Uh, that to me is not cardiology. And then when you are practicing in a town or a city, you if you are uh, uh, one or two cardiologists, you can't provide 24-hour service. But uh, we were going on suggesting for the last several decades that in a town or a city, form group of uh, groups or teams of cardiologists across the organizations. A 24-hour service can be provided. But even suppose you are at care hospital, uh, you are uh, somebody from some other hospital can come and do angioplasty if you, they were in, in the team, and uh, you go to their hospital and do it another day. So that way you are not disturbed often, and uh, the cardiology services are uh, adequately provided for the community because this is one of the best procedures that helps the community, that helps prolong life in patients and uh, particularly most of them are primary earners of the family. They are at the peak of their uh, careers and if you don't do something to them which saves them and prolongs their life, uh, cardiology has failed. And uh, if, uh, if somebody has any questions, I'll answer it. And uh, uh, if you are uh, not enough people in one center, form a group of people as a team across the uh, town or community or a city. And then um, we, we should form that type of teams even in Hyderabad. Uh, I was uh, suggesting to many of my colleagues, but they don't want to work together. That's the problem. Thank sir, you. I, sir, I just want to ask one question. So do you think this uh, primary angioplasty uh, aspect and what you mentioned about uh, pooling up the existing manpower so that we can provide adequate service to the community. Do you think something like this is workable in smaller cities as well? Where yes, anywhere, anywhere it works. And first, uh, they must be willing to sit together. But most of the cardiologists, they are so competitive with each other, they don't even talk to each other. Sir, my, my, my idea was not just, my question was not just related to cardiologists and their competition, which is quite obvious, which is quite visible. My idea is also in terms of the manpower requirement. And what I mean by, what I mean by is this, that we have to be a little bit pragmatic about the cost implications of it. In a smaller town where to do an angioplasty, if we need six or seven staff member to be available 24 seven. And if that center is doing, let us say three or four angioplasty a month, then their monthly cost needs to be borne by those four people who, who underwent angioplasty. Now we can have a risk share model where that cost is distributed to every single angioplasty which is done in the hospital, be it elective or emergence. But, but whether that is ethically correct or not, I don't know. So yes, sir. Uh, when uh, these issues were brought up at some point uh, in Banjara uh, several years ago, uh, this issue of uh, cost and other issues, uh, people were hesitating. And in uh, Nampalli, even the senior cardiologists were refusing to do a primary angioplasty because they thought they had doubts about whether this is beneficial or not. And I have to force it uh, upon some of the people. And uh, even today, I, do, I don't agree with them. 
the way they conducted themselves. And then uh, in Banjara, when uh, we enforced the issue, we did tell everybody, number one, uh, money should not be an issue at all, whether somebody is willing to pay or not willing to pay. Number two, senior enough person should counsel. And uh, having said that, when we analyzed, uh, say, around 100 patients done, only 1.5% of people, 1.5% paid nothing. And rest of them, most of them paid, and uh, around uh, 3 to 5% paid less than what is routinely charged. So at the end of all that, the hospital didn't lose money on primary angioplasty. But I won't extend this to every city and every town, every center. But you must be willing to try first. And then the word spreads. People from different walks of life, different uh, uh, say surroundings will come to you. But then uh, I must say, if you are a cardiologist, if you are a cardiac center of any repute, not to do primary angioplasty, you are not extend, you are not doing a right thing to the communities you are serving. You are working for yourself. Yes, sir. So I think that you know what you mentioned about cardiologists not having this belief that primary angioplasty works better. I think that that part is very well established. I don't think there is any scientific way of going around it. Primary angioplasty saves life. Primary angioplasty is good. There is, there is no, I don't think there is going to be any argument about it or any discussion about it. The discussion whether it is superior to a routine pharmacoinvasive in the, in the practical context, that's a different topic altogether. And in centers like CARE or AIG where uh, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Over a period of years, we have been watching. Uh, the, we started primary angioplasty for MI even before chance were available in 1985. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, uh, uh, the procedure is now transformed from not that safe to very safe now. And uh, mind you, most of the patients who come to you with um, acute coronary syndrome, acute myocardial infarction, are elderly above 60. 75, 80, and their bleeding risks are far higher, and they can't be equated to a very young person uh, coming with uh, acute MI. So each patient is different, and you should be willing to serve each one of them differently. To do a thrombolytic therapy for a 75-year-old person will be a, a wrong thing to do, uh, and bleeding risks are very high. Right, absolutely. I think, sir, what you pointed out uh, is, is very spot on, that whenever we talk about primary PCI versus pharmacoinvasive and look for equivalency, we always have to make sure that the patient subset that we are talking about uh, is, is a good subset for both of them. A 75-year-old guy with acute MI is not a good subset for thrombolytics. So in these cases, unless you don't have a primary PCI lab, Pharmacoinvasive approach is not the right way to go because you're going to have far more bleeding risk, uh, bleeding event as compared to uh, preventing uh, acute MI. So certainly patient subset has to be taken into account. And whenever we are talking about pharmacoinvasive, we have to look at, uh, we have to compare apples and apples. We cannot compare apples and oranges. We are 16 minutes out of our discussion. Uh, Dr. Anup, I just wanted to say uh, one thing here. Yes, sir. I had an occasion to chair one of the sessions conducted in Hyderabad by this primary angioplasty group in the country is there. You know, what is that called? 
Estemi PCI. Yes, sir. Estemi PCI, which is. Uh, what is it? Uh, some group is there. One group is there. Yeah. And then uh, I was telling Estemi uh, India. Stemi I was telling one of your sessions and I did ask them uh, how many of your center? They are asking the state governments to fund the program and some of the state governments funded also, I believe. Then I asked them. Uh, how many of your centers you are talking about across the country have cardiologists uh, available around the clock? The lab was open around the clock. There was no easy answer. They tried to evade the issue. And then if somebody like STEMI India takes it up, they are the ones who should make these team programs, what I talked about. Teams across the city, teams across organizations. And they have never done it. And I'm very disappointed with them. And they never called me again. Thank you. Yes, sir. I think the question that you pointed out is very, 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 very relevant in terms of uh, having infrastructure set up in that regard. And there are far more logistic issues surrounding, surrounding it. But what you said is, if you look it from the context of that bread earner in the family whose life needs to be saved, then everything else becomes secondary. But unfortunately, when we are on the field, particularly not in hospitals like CARE or AIG, particularly in tier two cities, particularly in slightly smaller cities, these things, they, they do matter. And I don't think that putting a closed eye and saying that every single thing has to be taken from the patient context, I think that we are going to burn our feet as what Dr. Gopikrishna mentioned in, in his uh, original discussion. Uh, I know. Let us yes, not mix up. See, if we can do it in Hyderabad, well, yes. we can do it in centers who can do it. That's number one. Yeah. Centers who cannot do it, we have to find alternative methods. Yes. That's not, uh, there's no confusion. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think anyone should force a tertiary a, a, a place, a smaller places, uh, where these things are not available, what is best possible is lighting therapy. What is wrong about it? The thing, uh, can I ask one question? Yes, to yes, yes, Dr. Gopal. Thing, actually, see, it's a really practical problem here, sir, in the two tier cities who convinced. Because, see, for us, there is a comparison between the primary and uh, pharmacoinvasive or just uh, uh, we can wait for two days and we can do procedure. There are comparison between the procedures and between the timings. And uh, but here for the patient, patient himself is a comparison. He doesn't want to compare with anybody else. Failed means failed. He just uh, he wants explanation for himself only. He doesn't want to give, listen to any explanation or any. He doesn't want to listen to any subject. Whatever you speak, he doesn't want to listen. The thing how we should convince these uh, like see most of the times they are like uh, illiterates or they are motivated by somebody else, probably with our competitors also. How to overcome this two-tier? Two-tier is not easy, sir. It's a really cardiology is a very problematic. It's not a so simple. Uh, I don't think it's a simple even in a tertiary setup like you. Somraj, sir, uh, definitely not everybody. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> Most of the people can convince. But uh, for me, it's very difficult to convince. Of course, definitely I am feeling now it's more, uh, even I say also most of the people are convinced. But the thing is, uh, uh, how to make everybody convinced? Right, perfect. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Gopi Krishna. If uh, anybody else has got any other comments before we close the session, we are already 8.20. 
and we can continue our discussion offline on uh, the WhatsApp group. And uh, Anand, I will uh, try to address uh, the data point that you are trying to mention as well. Pranit, your closing comments for today's session? Yeah, uh, uh, a good depaired kind of a discussion that we had. Uh, just to be clear, primary PCI is always superior and will be superior to any form of therapy that we are talking about it and that should be offered to the patient wherever possible and we have to strive forward to offer this therapy uh, shifting the patient to the PCI capable hospital and the responsibility of the cardiologist to deliver the goods and where possible try to mimic the best possible thing that has been uh, said to be in comparison to primary PCI that is pharmacoinvasive where you give thrombolytic therapy and within the next 3 to 24 hours you do angiogram followed by angioplasty. So the onus on the uh, referring physicians or the cardiologist in the tier two to also stick to that timing as well. And then rest of it, uh, depending on the availability and whatnot. So these two things uh, which have been tested times and uh, based on the situations, try to follow them uh, should be the thing. And uh, as uh, was suggested, we have to uh, build up teams and centers where we can offer primary PCI to most of the patients as we can. That should be the future ahead uh, based on the thing that we have. Thank you, Anup. Thank you so much, Praneet. And I'll just give a closure about the case that we were discussing today. So this patient was thrombolyzed using tenecteplase and was given heparin. He was transferred to uh, a higher center immediately without any delay. While by the time the patient came to us, it was at night and uh, around 10 p.m. and he was completely stable. We took up this patient next day morning for an angiogram and an ad hoc angioplasty. And this patient otherwise went fine. And the answer to the second question that I asked Pranit and few of my other attendees that if hypothetically I have to open a hospital, what will I do? Given the current context, and you know, I have the right to change my opinion as the context changes, just like everybody else. But in the current context, if I have to open a hospital, I would put a standard therapy as pharmacoinvasive, not as a primary PCI. And I think I will be able to do a much better job uh, by doing pharmacoinvasive than doing a primary angioplasty. In genuine, in genuine interest, I will be able to do a much, a much better job. So anyway, thank you all for attending. This, this session extended quite a few minutes beyond our typical 8, 8.05. I thank you all for attending today's session. And uh, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts uh, on the WhatsApp group, uh, whatever, whatever follow-up comments you may have. As you know, all of our sessions are recorded. And so far we have about 53, 54 sessions uploaded. So please feel free to browse them during your dead time. And you can also give us a feedback in terms of how we are doing and how we should go forward. Thank you again for your time and attention. We will meet here next week, same time. Good night, all of you.